Hi there, this is Dave of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and I just wanted to give you guys a warning. Wayne and I are about to go back and look at episodes one and two of season one of Dark. So if you have not seen the entire series, that is seasons one and seasons two, this is not the podcast episode for you because we are going to spoil the heck out of the entire series to this point. So if you haven't seen seasons one and two of Dark, stop here and maybe check out something else in the Sci-Fi TV rewatch catalog. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy it. Listening to episode 317 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we try something new tonight. We're gonna revisit season one of Dark and examine how this intricate tale has been constructed. And you know, it's funny, Fred asked, had we ever done this before? And we haven't. Michael and I did it with Continuum, and I don't even really know how that worked out. I don't even remember that so long ago, but yeah, I mean, if any show deserves it, as Fred said, Dark is the show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, when we, you know, we first came up with this idea, it was a, hey, let's try this out. But then I think we came to the realization, well, are we are we really going to have anything new to talk about? As, you know, we, we've covered these pretty, pretty in-depth the first time around. But uh, watching it, you realize, ah, it, uh, it really, especially having seen season two, uh, almost everything in season one, uh, as Fred touches on, you know, we see in a different light now and uh, certainly much differently than we did the first time. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see how this goes. I mean, if it turns out to be a total disaster, then we'll reevaluate. I don't think it will. But, uh, you know, you never know. So we'll see if the sales um, numbers on the CDs uh, dip next week, then we'll know yeah, we, exactly. we miscalculated yeah uh you know we want to thank our patreon supporters and you know we've mentioned before the patreon account exists to help defray the costs of producing sci-fi tv rewatch hosting fees for one uh you know unfortunately it costs money and if you're interested in becoming a patron you can go to our website sci-fi tv rewatch.podbean.com and there's a patreon link over on the right side of the page you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch. And, you know, we've got a couple of goodies that if you're a regular listener, you've, you've probably picked up on that at the dollar a month level, we'll cover any episode of any genre show you choose at the film critic patron level. We'll cover any genre film of your choice. And at the foundation level, we'll do actually two podcasts cover the genre show of your choice and in addition, we'll do some sort of a top 10 list for you as long as it's related to genre TV. For example, our top 10 favorite genre actors, although we'd probably go with actresses knowing the two of us, <laughs> our, our top 10 favorite series set in space, top 10 favorite supernatural series. You guys get the idea. Those are just some possibilities. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind if you'd like to support the podcast. And if not, that's cool. Just, you know, we'd love you to keep listening. Now, if you do want to contact us with some sort of feedback or questions, emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com. 
go to the website. There's a voicemail tab uh, that makes it very easy. Record your own audio clips the way Fred does each week and just send us the MP3. Tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, as I said, nobody ever does. Uh, but as, again, join the Facebook group, join the discussions there, and, and it's growing slowly but steadily. Nice. All right. Now, uh, I don't really have any news, so let's just jump to the tip of the week. And I, I know in the past few weeks, I mentioned two shows that dropped on the 30th of August, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix and Carnival Row on Amazon. Now, I've had the chance to see the first two episodes of both. Have you seen either? I haven't seen either. Okay. I I really love Carnival Row. I I just can't talk more highly about it. Michael wrote a tremendous spoiler-free review on Den of Geek. So if you want to go over there, check it out. You know, it's like four or 500 words or so. It doesn't really give any spoilery details, but he just really gets a great flavor of what the show's all about. And again, dude, you're going to love it. Uh, trust me, you're going to love it when okay. you finally get the chance. Now, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I can appreciate what it is. And for what it is, I can't imagine anything better. But as you said about Rigel in Farscape, they're damn puppets. And, <laughs> you know, it's, I, but, I but like see, the like, story. I, but almost, you know, I'm finding since I made those sarcastic comments about poor Rigel, I have kind of come full circle on that attitude because now with everything digital and computer generated to see a film or a TV show that's made with real like things like not computer generated images, but, but with, you know, man-made things or real actors or whatever, I, I'm starting to gain more of an appreciation for that. So like when we, I think I mentioned before watching or rewatching the movie, the dark crystal with uh, my wife and my daughters a couple weeks ago. And I, I was just, I was like, man, this is awesome what they did here. You know, this is incredible. How much, I'm sitting there like trying to figure out how did they do that? How did they shoot this scene? How did they make that work? And just my mind was just blown by it. But I think, I don't think my, the rest of my family was impressed with it at all. Though. Well, it is visually stunning. There's no question about that. I think for me, what's holding me back from, moving past the first two episodes is that it's just such a basic storyline that we've seen in any of a number of other uh, shows, uh, novel series. Yeah, that is absolutely the most legit criticism you can have about the dark crystal is that right. The, the plot is pretty standard hero journey type stuff. Right. But that said, I, I think you'd be remiss to not at least check out the first episode or two. So, uh, oh, I'm going to watch it, Dave. Don't so, don't you worry, man. Okay. Well, I'm just sending that out there to to the listeners that that you know, following up on my previous tip of the week was just that they were going to drop. Now that I've seen them, they're definitely both worth checking out. So, yeah. that's I'll, my I'll, tip. I'll probably bump. I was going to watch the Dark Crystal next, but I might uh, bump up Carnival Row and put it. Uh, that'd be the next thing I attack. Cool. But I was not able to watch either of those 
because the past two weeks I have been viciously binging my two other CW shows besides Supernatural uh, that I watch that are spring shows. So they just dropped on Netflix uh, because I can't watch them on PlayStation View because CW is not on PlayStation View. So, hey, CW, let's get on it, eh? So the two shows I'm talking about, obviously you know the one I'm talking about is The 100 okay. and the other is iZombie, okay. which uh, was the series finale then. So my big shout-out goes to the series finale of iZombie, which was a quality show from start to finish. A few, like any show, there's a few you know, road bumps there that some episodes were not as good. Uh, but the last season was very good, really strong. The last episode was awesome, brought closure all around without being too sappy, which is always, you know, you you have a possibility of over-sentimentalization um, in your, if you know it's a series finale. Uh, they didn't do it, but it still gave you a bit of the feels and uh, it's just uh, really good. So, I mean, if, if you're an iZombie fan, uh, obviously you've probably already watched it. If you've never seen iZombie, uh, check it out. It's really, it's a great show. It's, it's funny. It's got, it, you know, it has police procedural in there. Um, the humor is pretty dark though, but, uh, and the characters were awesome. Cool. Now, I'd be remiss then to not mention the complete bananas craziness that is the hundred yeah how about that that show is just off the effing rails man it's just it's just it's just crazy stuff i mean i guess the show's kind of always been like but it seemed like this past season there was just crazy stuff happening like every episode it was just 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 completely wild yeah i mean you talk about shows reinventing themselves the 100 does it about as well as any show I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I guess because they probably ran out of like the source material after like season one, probably. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then they're like, well, what do we do now? It's a pretty popular show. You got to keep this thing going. Um, all right. Let's uh, jump forward uh, 100 years. It was right. wild. Bat shit, yeah. complete craziness. But, uh, but you know, you, I, I love it. You know, I, I actually. Um, we returned to school and a, a girl that I taught last year who is also loves watching shows on Netflix. We talk about TV all the time. And she was like, so what do you watch? And I'm like, well, right now I'm, you know, catch up on the hundreds. She's like, ah, I gave up on that. Like after season two, I'm like, you know, I just, there's just something about it. I just can't let it go. You know, like sometimes I'm watching like, you know, half the stuff here doesn't make sense. I don't even like half these characters sometimes. But then just something about it, just you keep coming back to it. And one more season to go, though. Sounds good. All right. Well, why don't we talk a little dark revisited and we're going to look at episodes 101 and 102. And, you know, as you said a few minutes ago, we, we really did analyze these episodes previously. And, and I don't want to say we touched on everything because of course we didn't. I went back and looked at my notes from when we recorded those podcasts and, and there's a lot that we didn't get to. I know we've talked about Jonas's yellow raincoat, but at this point, can we consider it a symbol? I mean, obviously we've told our students throughout the years that to be a symbol, it has to recur throughout the work. Mm-hmm. 
and clearly well, this recurs. Yeah, and I think well, part of it is the state of the jacket. Whenever we see it, you know, is, is kind of on a very literal level, I guess. You know, we see it here. It looks pretty new and pristine, right? As he progresses, as he gets older, as he goes to the future and back, it gets kind of beaten up and dirty and everything. So I think in that way, it, it's you know both literally it marks you know where Jonas is uh, time wise in, in his timeline, but also obviously is a yeah. metaphor for what's happening to Jonas. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, you mentioned that as we go through the series, it becomes more beaten up, as does his psyche. And eventually that beating turns into Adam. But the other thing I guess I thought about, what is a raincoat but something to protect you from the rain? And, and of course, right. uh, uh, there's this constant rain and wind. Or the falling birds. <laughs> or the falling birds and, and then i'm thinking about the color and or ordinarily we think of yellow uh, alluding to cowardice but that's certainly not the case here but but also deceit and since we're talking about secrets here uh, i think that's a possibility as well and again maybe i'm reading too much into it but you know when when we couple it with the constant rain well, again, what's the deal with rain? That whole idea of rebirth, washing away the past. And then I started thinking like, all right, is that really a hackneyed approach? And then I thought, well, if it starts a new cycle, maybe it it has some meaning in, in that regard. I don't know. I'm prob- I just... Uh... <laughs> No, I mean uh, that I, I I agree with pretty much all that. I think the, the rain is is constant. It provides from some very dramatic scenes, like Katarina standing in the rain. The kid is gone. Her husband is cheating on her. So it makes some good visuals, I think. But also, yeah, there's that. I'm not sure if I'm quite. I, I think I think by the end of this, we will look at the rain and see it as some kind of cleansing slash purification type symbol. But for right now, I, I, I don't see it just yet, just now, because things are just so bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this thing would have to end up on a fairly positive note for it to, you know, for, there to, for us to ascribe any kind of uh, positive uh, meaning to the rain as a symbol. Okay. Now, you're teaching 11th grade, right? Yep. Okay, so you're covering Washington Irving, all the American lit stuff, and, and what really struck me as I was rewatching these, how many scenes take place in the woods, and, and of course, mm-hmm. with Irving, that's a huge part of his stories, and you know what goes on in the woods, what does the forest represent, you know, the unknown, and, and of course, again, we're talking about hiding secrets here. But it's also those dark and unknown sides of ourselves. And we haven't really spent time, I don't think, talking about the title of the series, Dark. And mm-hmm. that, you know, once we get to know Adam in season two as this really dark side of Jonas, that, you know, does, again, does uh, that tie in a little bit with the forest? But it is something that I think must have meaning or. Yante Frisia and Baron Bo Odar would not have us spending so much time there. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think you nailed it, right? There's, uh, the woods as this threatening place. Um, it's this place where danger lurks behind every tree. That is, especially at that scene at night with it's raining, every little sound, the kids are jumpy and freaking out every time they hear something. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, and I think that goes straight through every episode that we've seen as the woods being this place. Now, I guess the, the, the kind of, the thing that detracts from that might be the woods as a place of hiding and of security where Elizabeth has her family photos, right? That she hides right. in the woods. So f- for her, maybe slightly different. Right. And, and that's a great segue into the opening shot, which is of the bunker, the wall with each character photos of the different stages of life. But they make a point of showing the weapons arsenal, which I remember we talked about at the time. Do you think that ties into the 2053 soldiers that we later meet at the you know end of season one? Because we don't really see anything else related to weapons other than what's going on in 2053. Right, but their weapons are modern weapons like kalashnikovs and everything uh these are regular hunting rifles are they well um, i mean i know we also saw, saw a bunch so. of hand grenades too but well yeah well the hand grenades right yeah i forgot about the grenades. so i don't think we really i don't think we have that question answered yet about like yeah because i saw that and i'm like well that's something we really don't know what the deal is with it right now right right that shot of the weapons because you know like like you said i mean yeah in the you know twenty fifty whatever twenty fifty two we see weapons and soldiers and everything, um, but not these weapons. So right as you said, they they appear to be much more modern than than these. Yeah. Now, so listen before we go on though, I okay. want to talk about because I I thought well hey because the first the very first pictures that we see, did you catch who? I don't remember. No. It was Tronte. They oh. show him first. Oh yeah, so I think I'm like, I do remember that. So I'm like, this is the this is season one, episode one of your show, and this is basically the very first human face we see are these pictures of Tronte Nielsen from 1953, 1986, and 2019. So I just stopped it right there. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write down all the the order and all the pictures that we see because I feel, but again, like I don't like, cause we, we, when we think of Tronte, we don't think of him as a central figure in this story at all. Right. No, I don't think so. No. Like if it, yeah, he's, he's definitely, I mean, grand in season one, he played a, a bigger role because well, we thought he was killing kids for half the season. And there's certainly season two. I don't even know if he's in season two. I think there might be, a scene with young kid Tronte maybe one time, but we definitely don't see him middle aged. I don't think we see him at all as an old man. But then, but the, their very first human face we see is his. So the first one is Tronte. Three pictures. Then go, that goes to Regina. Two pictures from eighty six and nineteen, and from what we've seen about Regina, that's probably the only pictures they will. So we're not going to have a twenty fifty three Regina, right? No, no. Um, Helge has four pictures. I'm sorry, three pictures. Again, 84. I'm sorry, 54, 86, 19. Yana, three pictures of Yana. So right here, 
right, the first four pictures that the camera shows us are these people who we would not think of as being really central to the story. You know, Hellgate certainly was for much of season one, but he's, I think he's almost entirely out of the, I don't know if we saw him once in season two, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, that's interesting. So now we get more into the central characters with Charlotte, but just two pictures of Charlotte from 86 and 19. Um, but of course, if all these people died in 2020, that would make sense why there's no pictures of them as older. Um, then Ines, uh, three pictures, one of her as a young girl, we assume. We haven't seen her as a young girl yet. And then one from 86 and one from 2019. We see a picture of Ulrich in... Uh, 2019 with an article from 1986 with a picture of him and Mads in the picture. Then we go to Katharina from 1986 and 2019. Uh, then to Hannah, again, same thing, 86, 2019. Um, then Magnus and Martha, only one picture of each of them from 2019, but they're obviously a string connecting them. Then it goes to one, a picture of Bartosh, Again, one picture from 2019, connected to two pictures of Alexander. So, a picture of Alexander from 1986 and 2019. And then kind of in the top left or top right of that shot, we see a, a little bit of a picture of Francesca. Um, and then moves to Jonas with just one picture. But the narrator at that point says that everything is connected. And then it, it goes to a, a picture of Michael with all kinds of strings coming out of his picture. So I'm not sure about the meaning of that, but I just really found it interesting that the first couple pictures were characters that, you know, we would see as incidental. Of course it does end up with, you know, Jonas and Michael as the last two pictures that they show. So maybe it's building up to the level of importance of these characters. I don't know. Well, it, well, it could. And I think that's interesting. Number one, I didn't notice that, but I think it's fair to say that at this point in the story, Jonas and Martha seem to be the two key core characters for this story. And to have them in the second half of that introduction, again, as you say, is fascinating. And, you know, that kind of leads us into that family photo of the Conwalds that has Ines torn out of it and we assume that it's hannah that tore her out of the picture the uh -huh. question is why does she do it i mean does she blame her for michael's death uh, was was something said to hannah by ines so we, we don't really oh, and, know <clears throat> right right well it's except that ines is letting the power uh run out and apparently he's paying the electrical bill but whether she purposefully has the power shut off or not we don't know but yeah um hannah is super pissed at ines and we don't yeah we don't really know i think we yeah. uh, even from our perspective we don't know right yeah yeah right uh now there's a lot of scenes that in retrospect i i think we can find some meaning and and one of the next that occurs is uh, Jonas and Peter Doppler are walking through the woods. I assume Jonas is on his way to school, but I don't know. And he tells Peter he still sees his father. And I'm thinking like, yeah, 
because you see Mickle. Right. You know? So there's <laughs> yeah, a lot true. a lot a lot of little things like that. Now, you know, back to Enes, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the letter that that Michael writes before committing suicide. How did Enes get the letter that Michael left? Do we ever see that? I mean, we we her copy appears new, right? She has the original. And yeah. then we get that scene in, in episode one where she's watching the clock waiting to open it. And, and dude, I'm thinking, okay, if I have a letter that says yeah. don't open to dude, I'm opening it early. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I get, you know, there, there is, you know, respecting the, the wishes of, of the person who's passed, I guess, or something like that. I but, guess. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine that I don't know. I, I, who knows what I would do? That's such. I obviously don't ever want to be in, in such a situation. Who knows? I, I just assume she's kind of respecting the wishes, or does Ines kind of know that she's not? You know, like does she kind of know what's going on? I mean, she knows about time travel, right? Well, so and, maybe and that's she, that's one of the things I was thinking. I mean, is this the first time when she reads this letter that she pieces all of this together? Because all she's got to go on is this 11-year-old boy telling her he's from the future. Do we ever actually think that she believes him? Isn't that why she well, drugs Ulrich him? does try to old Ulrich does try to take him back too. Well, that's true. That happened. Right, that is true. So, uh, um yeah, I, I I feel like she she understands the time travel thing. She's down with it. Okay. All right. Now, I love the scene so where- So, might explain why she didn't read the letter, you know. Okay. Um, you know, I know we talked about that morning chaos scene at the Nielsen home right before the first day of school, and it was kind of a throwaway line at the time, but Martha asks her mother, are you sure Mickle wasn't adopted? Clearly, he wasn't adopted, but it, it obviously sends the story in a different direction. Then, of course, he's wearing that skeleton costume, Ulrich- we know has just returned from his affair with Hannah and says there was a long line at the bakery. The apocalypse is upon us. Okay. And, and of course later that, that phrase apocalypse comes up quite a bit. And then of course he's a year early, but he's right. Right. Now do we know, is it Adam that takes Eric or is it Helge? No, Helge. Helge, Helge takes Helge, Eric. Yeah. But but you can see here how it's you know because obviously it's what you mentioned Peter and you know Tronte and the stranger and they're like all these people that because you know the, when we first watched it the big thing at first is hey who who took um, Mickle or actually we know what happened to Mickle but who took Mads who took Eric that's like we have no idea what's going on there. We just see this kind of character in a black raincoat with a hood up that's kind of got Eric strapped down to this chair. And then we see the stranger with a similar black coat. So, you know, obviously our first suspicions are that this, you know, sketchy bearded guy is the guy taking the kids. You know, right. Everything. Um, or then, you know, like I said, like we, I have had very strong suspicions of, of Peter and Tronte because they're acting so weird. And they, like Tronte's got blood on his sweater. And he's trying to hide from Yana and things like that. But of course, all of these were just uh, red herrings. 
Right. Well, and then even Ulrich's insistence that this, meaning Eric's disappearance, has nothing to do with my brother. Well, yeah, it does, dude. Uh, you just didn't know it at that's that That's what we call verbal irony, son. Right. Although <laughs> at the time, it's, you know, I guess when you do a rewatch, it becomes verbal irony. Is, is it right. verbal irony if we don't know it at the time? I guess. Well, but was, I think the intent was because yes. the, the people writing the episode knew that they were connected, obviously. So Right. Now. Remember, this is the first day of school, and we get that scene where uh, Bartosh and Jonas are, you know, standing outside the building before going in, and they're kind of joking. So, what's the cover story for where Jonas has been all summer? He, he's been he's been away in France playing hide the baguette. Uh, there you go. So we we come back to France, which I know is one of your <laughs> right. favorite things to bring up in, in the. Uh, there you go. There's world building of dark. And there's France. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're the only two places. Where else would he go? There's nowhere else. You could either be in Winden or France. This is that's it. Yep. All right. So we see Eric in the bunker. Well, but, but before we go, I just want to say that because the, I think the, the thing that when we first see Bartosz, we think he's kind of cool because he's kind of joking around with Jonas, uh, standing up when people like you're staring at him. He's like, what are you looking at? You know, and everything. Kind of protecting Jonas. And then very quickly... Uh, we find out he stole his girlfriend, which sucks. So, but there was a time because I know there's a lot of Bartosh hate out there, but there was a time, it was just a couple minutes long, but remember people, there was a time when we thought Bartosh was an okay guy. Right. It just ended pretty quickly. Right. So, all right. Now talking about Eric in the bunker where we see him strapped in that chair, of course, we didn't know at the time that this is the bunker. It's just 1987. So obviously it has a lot more significance. 86 this time around, man. 86. Okay. You know, I was going to say at the beginning, it's like, uh, let's not haggle over which year. Cause we're going to get confused over, <laughs> over right. both. Yeah. But, you definitely uh, should have told me that earlier. All right. All right. So, so why doesn't Martha like Francesca? She tells Magnus, he's an idiot for liking her. And, and I think we're all thinking like, Huh? He, he's not an idiot for liking her. What are you kidding me? But uh, we have seen her naked at this point, so that uh, we might, have uh, be affecting it. But um, no, I I think Francisca she's a little weird, and and the, the Doppler family obviously they're a little. I, I hesitate to call them dysfunctional when there's so many other families that could qualify as being completely dysfunctional in this show. In fact, all the families to some extent, but, uh, you know, Francisca seems to be, well, they, you know, they, they, they call her nerd, I think, or Bartosz calls her nerd. I think so. You know, she just could be the, a kid who is just kind of keeps to herself a lot and, you know, they don't trust her. Okay. And I guess one of the things I thought about, because my, my wife is one of five, she's the only girl, uh, she's got an older brother who's one year older than her. So they're the two oldest. And, and I know she's told me throughout high school, her brother would severely judge any of her boyfriends. So it, it was almost, uh-huh. it wasn't anything about that particular boyfriend. So I wonder sure. if it's something like that, because you get the idea that Martha and Magnus are a year or so apart, probably not more than that. But what I really... Right noticed here is she mentions martha that is some sort of a deja vu and now knowing what we know about martha 2.0 is this possibly some sort of a bleed in from another 
dimension. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so um, you know Jonas, you know he he wakes up from a dream, but the dream he was having, but he was like having a dream, and but he was the 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 stranger, he, he in the dream, and then he wakes up from that, and he like touches his ear, and then blood starts running down. He sees Michael again, and then you know he was having. Like a dream within a dream there, whatever. But well, that's oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We're talking about episode. <clears throat> so it's in the second episode. Yeah. So uh, in the second episode, he like it, he sees the stranger's face. Then it cuts to Jonas waking up from a nightmare, um, and then he wakes up again. You know, but it seems like at some point there he was having a dream, and he was seeing him you know, like the stranger, which is himself. So is that? You know, an aspect of like you're saying with Martha is it's just an aspect of the multiverse at play, right? And some sort of a bleed in from a parallel universe, which would be a very cool thing if that's in fact what it turns out to be. Now, we get that scene where Katarina finds the hair on Ulrich's hoodie, smells it, and then the camera immediately goes to the family photo with Mickle front and center. And I'm thinking, like, Okay, so your husband's with the wife of her son, right? Uh, yeah. Because Hannah's Wait, Mickle's Wait. wife, right? Han- Mickle, <clears throat> right. Mickle grows up to yes. marry Hannah. Right. So he's kind of banging his daughter-in-law. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, uh, you know, we know all about the gun and the passports, so we get that scene where hannah's massaging alexander does he know she has the gun and passports at that point because he doesn't yeah because that's 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 like from 86 right yeah right oh but does does he know that she does see i don't think he knows that she has yeah i can't remember right right that would make uh the uh yeah it seemed more awkward uh massage like he'd probably be more tense every time, right? I, I don't think he would have picked her to be his masseuse if uh, that were the case. So yeah, I I I think probably yeah, because she finds it right. But at right. some point, I, I see this is why we're doing the the, the uh, rewatch so we can exactly just re- fill in these details that we've forgotten. And, and in and in a lot of cases, they take on new meaning, whether it's the dramatic irony as you mentioned earlier. But but we get a lot that happens at the caves. And Martha tells Jonas that she didn't send text to him, you know, basically saying they were broken up and he and he uh, she was with Bartosh because it didn't feel right. And that she just had a deja vu as if it's already happened before. Again, at the time watching episode 101, it just comes across as a teenage girl making an excuse for why she didn't have the nerve to send a breakup text to uh, a kid that just lost his father. Right. But now... Well, and, and these things pop up later because... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and then his reaction is a glitch in the Matrix, which we right. get a call back in season two along with the ultimate fist bump from Mickle yeah, to Jonas. So, say, yeah. right. So all of that right. stuff happens in this scene, which later becomes important. 
Right. So, like, uh, when those things pop up in season two, I was like, mm, you know, I'm sure that happens sometime, but I don't really remember it happening. But so now, you know, we rewatch and we say, oh, that's that's where the Matrix reference comes from and the ultimate fist bump comes from. Yeah. Now, we get that scene where Mickle tells the others that the kids his age are saying maybe Eric's kidnapped and being held in a basement somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Of course. Well, kind of, kind of nails it, doesn't he? Kind of nails it. And then when they get spooked in the woods, Jonas is taking Mickle, who's actually his father, as they run through the woods, which is kind of prescient for what their relationship turns out to be. But after the disappearance, and maybe it's just that we don't see it on camera, but why don't the police actually go deep into the caves? Wouldn't they see the Sigmundus doors? Right. Well, I, I only assume, well, first of all, I think we can pretty clearly establish that Wyndon's police force is just terrible. They're just the worst police force ever. Uh, a lot of people I've, I've seen on like Reddit and stuff have you know criticized how when they find Mad's body and Ulrich starts like, pulling leaves away and just completely messing up the crime scene, which he totally does. You know, we talked about Clausen as possibly the worst police officer in the history of police officering. Um, so, yeah, there's there's not a lot to be said for the Winden uh, police force here. They got, uh, you know, Wohler is on the take, right? Yeah. So this is pretty much the worst police force ever. So, yeah, I mean, these guys uh, yeah. make 86 Egon look good. Right. Well, yeah, all right. I hadn't even mentioned Egon, right? Right. Now, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, right. Now, one of the final things that, that I have for, for the first episode. Oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. One thing I just wanted to say before we move on. So a lot. So that's one thing I was really aware of because I was like, how? I mean, I get how, like, later uh, Jonas was able to kidnap Mickle or or lead Mickle away, but I'm like, wasn't Jonas with Mickle the whole? So like, first of all, like people say, they hear like there's like there's there's someone there, right? Well, yeah, there is someone there. It's Jonas, but from from the future. And then the, there's that scene where they all start running away, and Jonas and Mickle are together. But Jonas trips, Mickle keeps running. Again, if Jonas just gets up and, and starts running again, probably. He keeps Mickle in his sight, and and he doesn't get taken. But he sees this again. His, his vision of Michael that freaks him out, and so that by freezing up there at that moment, kind of uh, created enough time that his older self could grab Mickle and lead him back into the caves. Yeah. All right. Now, Peter Doppler reciting the Serenity Prayer is towards the end of the episode and i know at the time and even throughout the first part of season one i'm thinking is he referring to his homosexuality as one of those things that you know i have to have the courage to you know change or not change or whatever or is he talking about the coming cycle and the role of the doppler bunker in it and i would tend to believe it's the latter i i think his uh sexuality is something that while he may not be entirely comfortable with it's he has accepted that it seems as if charlotte has accepted it as much as she's able at this point so it it probably is a a reference to what it is he's 
doing down in the bunker there. So. I, yeah, I, I de- obviously, I definitely think it is re- reference to what he's doing in the bunker. I think the the first time that I saw this, because I know that that is like uh, that prayer is like for Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, or something like that. So I took it that he was some kind of like a substance abuser, and that was why he was reciting the prayer, and that's what they're trying to reveal. But as we rewatch it now, we know that he knows what's going on. He knows what's happened with Mads and, and Eric. And so what is eating at him, which we later suspect is his sexuality, it's actually what he's doing you know, as far as with time travel. One of the things that struck me in, in episode 102 is how emotionally torn up Magnus is over Mickle's disappearance. I mean, we see the sensitive side of, of him that we really don't see. He confronts Francesca in the woods about Mickle. And then that scene that I think you were alluding to earlier when he and his mother are standing in the rain as Ulrich is driving home leads him to punching the wall. And, and of course he feels guilty because he was supposed to be protecting Mickle, but And and I guess there's some truth in that. He probably should feel a little guilty for just running and leaving his little brother to Jonas, even though... Or or having his little brother there in the first place, which really was just that they wanted to find Eric's drugs. So he dragged his little brother along so they could pick up the drugs. And in retrospect, maybe that wasn't a great idea. Right. Now, the opening scene, and I think this is what you were trying to find in your notes earlier, uh, where we see the stranger, of course, we don't know he's the stranger at that point, carrying this briefcase, and then young Jonas wakes. Right, right. Jonas wakes up from, we think, a dream, but it's really kind of a deja vu, because as you said, it's the stranger in his dream. And, you know, I think you said blood, but it's, isn't it that black goo, which we never did really figure out what it actually means? Well, right. But is that like the dark matter or whatever that. Oh, right. I didn't even think about that. It. Yeah, go. Later, yeah. I, I just thought of that. I'm like, maybe that's it. Because you're right. It's not. It's, it's certainly not red. It's black, right? Mm-hmm. The color. Um, so, yeah. Is it blood or is it representing like the dark matter or what right now uh the stranger shows up at the hotel and and we cut to the scene of jonas looking through his father's studio and of course now we know why all of his paintings look like the work of a tortured individual and you wonder this can't possibly be the first time he's been in his father's studio when you look at this body of work, don't you think he must have been really worried about his father's state of mind or or maybe not? Maybe, you know, in everyday life, he just seemed like a normal dad, even though he had this terrible secret that he's been carrying around for 25 years or however long or 33 years. Yeah. And, and Fred said something about this, which actually is a really good point of how Michael's suicide is I mean, it's not shocking, obviously, because we know it's coming. But not only that, now we know why he did. That was such a mystery uh, up until we saw the, you know, the revelation in season two 
where we find out, you know, why he actually killed himself, that he actually had no intention of killing himself at all until his son from the future shows up and says, Dad, you gotta, you gotta kill yourself, man. But, but yeah, like, obviously, the, like, all the, the paintings there and there, there are, and, but I, I saw, like, it seems like there's this circle imagery in Michael's paintings as well as a lot of the things that the strange, Jonas the Stranger has up on his wall at the Winded Arms Hotel. Um, there's all these like labyrinth and circular images and swirls and things like that. So, I mean, obviously, as we know, the cyclical nature of what's going on here. I mean, these are seem, all things seem to be, you know, call outs to that. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the time we speculated that the marks on the stranger's neck might be connected with Michael hanging himself. But, of course, we learned right, right. that's that. not at all how Jonas receives them. Right. But there is a connection there, right? Like his sure. dad died by hanging. Jonas almost died by hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he finds the map up in the you know hidden compartment in the ceiling. Do we know who drew the map? Do we assume that Michael Conwell drew the map? Don't I, I think isn't did Claudia give? I feel like Claudia made that map, but I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, I can't remember that because then I started thinking like, well, did Young Mickle begin drawing it as a child? And I'm thinking like, no, of course not. Yeah, and, uh, because there are so many notations on there that. I'm sure there are people that froze the image and, and jotted down everything that they could see on the map. Again, but in German. In German, exactly. So that's why we depend on Fred to get us, keep us covered <laughs> on that kind of stuff. But the one thing that we do see uh, interpreted for us is that phrase, where is the crossing? And right. of course, we're wondering what that refers to. And, and to a certain extent, we don't, really still no i mean we kind of do i mean is the crossing simply one of those doors is the crossing a, a reference to the god particle that you know we, we see at the power plant I mean, we don't really know we certainly have an inkling i i think the crossing may i mean maybe it's the the cave itself but as you said maybe not yeah, so maybe yeah. there's something I else. I, think, I just don't think we've had that question answered. Yeah. Right, and, and you know, we talked last time about how many different time travel devices and methods there are. So, a, again, maybe this is something we haven't seen yet. It's sort of like, isn't that what it was called in Counterpart, the crossing? No, I can't remember. You know, we talk about recognizing early signs of things, and one of the reasons we're doing what we're doing here, well, Hannah's waiting for Ulrich at the police station and starts kissing him despite his being distraught over Mickle's disappearance. Kind of yeah. some early warning signs as to her psyche and her personality that uh, Ulrich, you might want to pay attention to this woman you're having an affair with. What is it? Uh, fatal Attraction, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we probably, I'm sure we brought up that movie when we talked about the first time around, because there's just so many like parallels here. Um, you know, Fred mentions how, and, and, you know, caught this, how, you know, she says, I love you uh, in that first scene back in um, episode one. And he's like, you're beautiful. And it's like, 
mm, I don't think that's what she was looking for, dude. You know, yeah. Like, um, so, you know, but her seeing this relationship in a completely different way than, than uh, Ulrich sees it. And then once, you know, and we, we know what happens from his quote unquote rejection of her. Basically, he's saying, listen, right now I got to concentrate on my family, which, sha, we know that ultimately that leads for her to, to have the ultimate mic drop where she comes back to 1954 to see him, show him the time machine, say, peace out, bro. Now, I, I think we certainly can look at some clues related to Ulrich. And we talked about his reaction once he finds himself in 1953. And the clues are there for Ulrich being unhinged and ending up in the psych ward because yeah. he's he's really going sure. rogue uh, as a police officer and he finds the drugs at eric's father's place and, and i'm wondering is that just a red herring or are the drugs and the fact that eric is selling them why he was chosen as one of the oh, kids point. to be experimented on i mean we don't get the answer but it's something right. that didn't occur to me because uh, we speculated why have no young girls been chosen these are all boys you know 11 to 15 or so yeah and you know in that scene i mean the first time we saw it you really feel like ulrich is kind of heading in the right direction here right yeah he goes to was it jurgen's garage he finds the, the, the hidden place. Uh, he pulls it up. I think back in the day, we both said we thought that that was a head yeah. that he pulls up out of the out of the, the well or whatever. And he finds tons of drugs. Uh, Jürgen then confesses that they were selling these drugs at the school, at which point Ulrich, uh, always you know keeping with his civic and professional responsibility, uh, just leaves. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we also that's have. A, I mean, I get like he he feels for for Jurgen because his kid is missing, and and Ulrich's kid is missing, so they kind of share that connection. But you know, that dude also just straight up told you that he's selling drugs at the school. So you know, maybe maybe we should like you know handle this you know in a police type manner. Right, and it's a scene that becomes more poignant when we know what we know, which is, of course, Eric's dead and Mickle's alive. But at this point, these are two fathers that are are just really mourning the disappearances of their sons, and it's the not knowing more than anything, I think, that that is tearing both of them apart. But what about that scene where Hannah and Jonas are sitting and talking in the kitchen and he says, you think he'll be found? And, of course, he's talking about Mickle, which is ironic because he's also talking about his father. Do you think he had a secret? And his mother says, Mickle? No, my dad. Could he have kept something hidden from us? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, so. Well, yeah, and, and Hannah basically says, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know who he really was. And it's like, that's true, too. Right. And so why would she say that? Jonas is basically asking, 
you know, why did why did Dad do it? Why did he kill himself? You know, what were the the signs? And Hannah's like, I don't know. Well, and then he you asks know, her point. He asks her point blank, "Did you love him?" No yeah, answer. The lights come on. Then lights come yeah. on. So, <laughs> right. well, yeah. Uh, well, we know that she started cheating on Michael before he died. Like she has sex with Ulrich at the the night of the party. Right. Yeah. Now, so. You, I mean, one of the things we see in, in these episodes is that the town's lights flicker at various points. And, of course, we don't really make the connection. Now we know that when somebody's time traveling, that's when the, the lights flicker. But adult Charlotte finds all the dead birds littering the ground, which, of course, is a precursor to the scene when she's a teenager and she's collecting the birds and studying them and doing whatever it is she's doing. But back to the stranger for a minute and all of those things he has on his hotel room wall, we see him change with a pen. Where is Mickle to when is Mickle? And obviously he knows the answer he doesn't need to write yeah. it for himself so is he writing it for right. someone else to find and if so who he yeah he must be because there's i mean there's zero point in him writing it for himself he knows both where and when michael is michael right. is so yeah and and then of course we get that final scene when michael emerges from the caves he's dirty runs through the woods returns to his house and as soon as we see that Volkswagen parked outside, I, I think for us that first time, the time travel motif is kicking in because we know that's his house, but we know that's not his car. And of course, when he goes and knocks on the door and it's teenage Ulrich and, you know, with that attitude, and then once Katarina rides up on her bicycle. You, you just wonder what the hell is going on in that little kid's mind. Is he yeah. really able to process it that quickly? That seems hard to believe, but right. Well, I think we, we had talked about uh, originally, I, I seem to recall talking about how there's no way he's processing this right yeah. now. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. That it's just like right now, it's just like what, you know, like it's just, totally confused probably his first thought would be all right everyone is completely messing with me like this is like the greatest practical joke ever um you know complete with the the newspaper about chernobyl on the on the front stoop yeah um but that's yeah but it's still kind of like a a great scene so like, i was like looking forward to that scene because a the first time you watch dark this is where it really starts to kick in. Like right now, for two episodes pretty much, two full episodes, it's just been kind of like police procedurals and this is a town. Everyone's got a secret and there's 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 no really super weirdness to it yet. And then all of a sudden, this kid goes back to 1986 and we're just like, what? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, it's always great. I mean, like, it's just, you can't appreciate it as much, you know, now, uh, upon rewatching because you know, it's coming, you know, what's going on. But I just like to think back to the first time watched it when you get that scene and just, you know, 
just realized like, oh, wow, they just completely blew my mind. All right. Anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Well, just uh, um, one thing like about Hannah and, and Michael is I don't think we ever really get like I know we see them as kids when Mikkel first shows up and we we see them interact a number of times. But we don't really get how Hannah and Michael happened. And I think someone in season two even says, like, I don't know why she you know, married him. She could have had anyone. So why she picked that guy, I don't know. So, you know, we just, you know, that whole thing. And then, you know, of course, her cheating on him, even when they he was still alive, really calls into question, like, why, why did she even marry to Michael in the first place? Yeah, you know? that's a good question. You know, we, we know she had a teenage crush on Ulrich. We certainly learned that later. So, yeah, I, I don't know that we'll ever find that out. It'll be interesting if that's something that comes up in season three. I kind of doubt it, but you never know. But, yeah, yeah good and, one. You know, like, Jonas was born in, like, what? You know, two thousand two, two thousand three, right? Yeah, something like, like that. Sixteen sure. years old, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's not like, you know, like like Michael knocked her up in the back of a Volkswagen or something when they were teenagers because they were in their thirties when he was right. born. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Who comes through the? Uh, who's coming through the, the 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 cave when we see all the birds dropping at the end? Yeah, you know, it's the person, it looks like they have a long jacket, if I recall. So I was wondering whether it's the stranger or is it Helge, because we see Helge so you think doing it's Helge a lo- using it? Yeah, because we see him doing a lot of the dirty work. Oh, because, yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's got to be Helge, right? Because we're pretty sure that the the Blue Room is in 1986, right? Yes. And the bodies are found in 1954. Right. Or 1953, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was Helge moving moving from 86 to 53. Right. So. That's probably it. Okay. Well, okay. there you go. Okay. Uh, a couple language issues here. Well, not issues, but things I was kind of fascinated by that uh, the word asshole apparently is a cognate. It means the same. Okay. Or it calls uh, Alexander an asshole. Uh, fuck. Can sometimes is fuck, but sometimes is shice is okay. translated as fuck. So I noticed that one. Uh, I miss crazy Helge. It's nice to see crazy old Helge again. Yeah, I running like into PTA meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I figure Ulrich is 48 this season in uh, 2019 because he was 15 when Mads disappeared. Oh, okay. Back Good. in 86. Oh, yeah. Okay. Did a little math. Oh, oh, okay. So this one thing. So Mikkel, the magician, he likes Houdini, the escape artist, right? Okay. Like we, I, we, we haven't, I, I feel like, I mean, obviously that's purposeful, right? But I haven't, I don't think we've really seen what that, what the significance of that is. Like, is Mikkel going to escape at some point? Is he going to use misdirection or something yeah i don't know but that's the first thing we see is mickel uh, as him as this magician and that's such a big part of of his life and he's got the poster 
that has um, you know his face uh, over the top of Houdini's face. Um, so I just feel like you know I, I think that's a, a kind of you know put a pin in this right now, but I feel like that is going to be significant uh, before this is all said and done. Well, does Michael actually escape the death-defying act that he performs when he hangs himself? Right. Right. Good one. So, all right. All right. Well, why don't we give a listen? Uh, oh, and one last all thing. Right. One last thing. One last thing. On the TV, uh, Eric, first of all, apparently Eric Obendorf is not a fan of 80s pop music. When uh, Dead or Alive are on, he's got his back turned. Like he's, I think he actually has his hands over his ears, too. Um, we got to see Nana, which was great. It's very attractive. I'm sure she still is, but she was super hot in 1986. Um, but then uh, the second time the TV is on and Helge is strapping Eric into the seat, it's Tanhouse is on the television talking about time travel. Oh, I missed that again. <laughs> so, um, again, that was uh, just just something I caught there. So, anyway, I think that might be it. I had a lot of notes for this one. All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred has to say, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Nels with some feedback for the rewatch of Dark Season 1, Episode 1 and 2. First, I want to come back to last week's podcast about Dirk Gently. I was quite critical about the US version of Dirk Gently's and then Holistic Detective Agency. But I have to say, and I said it last time, that I like the English version much better. And after all, even so much better that I watched the miniseries as well. So I watched all four episodes. And I want to thank, actually... Michael Jacobs for this tip because altogether those four were very nice but I still think that the American version is too Monty Python-y for me okay getting back to dark I'm very happy that you decided to immediately go back to dark and don't leave it until just before season three starts as said by yourself we just have everything in our heads at the moment and strike the iron when it's hot I'm very curious how this will go. And I asked Dave if he ever did this. Well, not together with Wayne, but together with Mike. He did for Continuum the first season twice. So that was because Continuum was first broadcasted in Canada and then later in the US. And they redid it. But I think that's different because for the US re-recording, you didn't put for the US audience spoilers in it. And this is really a sci-fi TV rewatch, rewatch. And yeah, I'm, I'm very curious how this will go. And we probably will go in all kinds of details. And I assume that you won't do it for season two. So only season one. And why not season two? Well, we just did that. But on the other hand, you could reflect on the first episodes of season two as well, knowing what will happen at the end of season two. So, small suggestion, you even could do three episodes at a time for season two. And then just doing one, two, three together and four, five, six, and leaving seven and eight out because that's almost the end of the season. Well, just an idea. 
Much, much happened in season two. Could be a reason to do it. And the fact that you are going to do this says perhaps something about Dark. The quality of Dark, the intensiveness of Dark, and the big, big puzzle that Dark is. I think it's actually a compliment for Dark that you are going to do this for the very first time. Okay, going into episode one of season one. The first general remark I want to make is that it's very special actually to watch again this first season after we just very intensively watched and figured all kinds of things out in season two. And what's striking for me is how certain scenes hit you. So, for instance, in my case, when I first watched Dark, I thought that the opening scene with Michael hanging himself was quite intense. And for me, it was much less intense now, because you know why he does it. And, of course, it's still awful to see, but you know the reason, and that's why it's, it's, it's less severe. The other way around is, for instance, when... Bartois and Marta and Jonas are in this meeting and Marta is kissing Bartois and, well, Jonas just loses his girlfriend here. The first time I saw that, it was, of course, a nasty trick of Bartois to steal Jonas's girlfriend when he's gone. But now you know how the relationship between Jonas and Marta is this scene is getting much more awful and Bartois is even more of a a-hole now than he already was. Another nice difference, of course, is the pictures on the wall with all the families and all the persons we still don't know yet. And we all got very confused by all these pictures and persons we couldn't place yet. The first time we saw it, it was quite overwhelming. And if we now look at it, it's all very clear. All the connections, all the persons, in all different timelines. So, that's a big difference. Okay, going into some details. One thing that was striking for me is when Ulrich is leaving Hannah after they had sex, she is saying to him, I love you. And he looks at her and he says, you are beautiful. He doesn't say, I love you too. And she actually looks quite unsatisfied. And this will play, of course, a big, big role when she goes back to 1954 and asks Ulrich whether he loves her and whether he would choose her above Katrina. This not being fully satisfied by his answer is so subtle that you really should know that. Otherwise, you wouldn't see it. The next one I have is perhaps a nitpick perhaps on purpose. Michael writes this letter, which should not be opened before the 4th of November at 10.13pm. Why 10.13pm? I think that is the time he disappeared in the caves. But if we see this and we see when Enos opens the letter, the kids are still walking around in the woods. So, if Enos read the letter, she could have called Jonas and tell him that he should watch Mikkel more carefully. I'm sure she has his mobile phone number because it's her grandson. So that could have prevented Mikkel traveling to the past, but Ines doesn't do anything. 
my big question is why didn't stop Michael slash Michael? And the nitpick is the the time that is put on the letter twenty two thirteen is just before he disappears. Or set on purpose and he gives Ines a last chance to prevent it. And then why a last chance just in the last few minutes? Why not an hour earlier? As you can hear, it got me thinking. The next one I have is just after Jonas loses Mikkel in the woods. He sees his father with a bloody face. Is this his imagination or is this real? We never could tie this into something. Will we see a connection to this incident in season 3? I looked more carefully at Michael's face and arms. It's not bloody. It's black. It more looks like the black sticky stuff from the nuclear waste barrels or the stuff of the god particles. In this phase of the series, Jonas does not know anything about that stuff. So how could he even imagine that? My conclusion is that this appearance of Michael must have been real. And another few tidbits. Funny that Francesca is having her class talk about uh, black holes. And another thing is that Ulrich says something during breakfast in his home about the apocalypse. I don't know where that comes from. Just as a joke. Just referring to the chaos of the first school day after the holidays. But of course this ties into the rest of the series. And then the last thing is Jana who is talking to her son Ulrich about a figure in the woods with a very big head. Also crazy or... I don't know where that ties in. Cannot place that. When I saw the picture again in the Conwald house with Ines torn away, so just Jonas, Hannah and Michael, what is the problem between Ines and Hannah? It does not become clear during these first two seasons to me. Um, here something is said that Ines has some influence on Hannah's supply for electricity because she says something like if you want to get me out of this house just say it so i'm not still not very clear in what happened between these two oh yeah a little last thing when charlotte is calling peter peter wants to tell her something i really wonder if that's about benny or what he is doing together with tronte Okay, that was all for episode 1, having one minute left for episode 2 or so. Well, that's what happens when you talk dark. For the second episode, I just will take the questions from my notes in July 2018. Who is the stranger? Check, we know. Alexander is not letting Ulrich on the power plant's ground. Why? What does he hide? And what are the bulldozers loading onto the trucks? Check. What does the exchange of the action figure on Matt's grave by Jana mean? Well, we don't know. I will come back to that. Who is the dead child that is not Eric nor Mikkel and wearing 1980s clothes? Check. What is the meaning of the maps of the caves that Jonah finds in his father's attic? Check. What is the meaning of the locked up child getting electrodes on his head? Check. Why does Jana exchange the action figure on Matt's grave. Is the action figure with the hoodie a reference to the figure with the big head she saw in the woods? Is this figure Helge in his raincoat bringing child corpses from 1986 to 2019? 
And the next question is, if we see Matt's grave, there is a second grave next to it. Must probably be a Nielsen grave, so whose grave is that? Agnes? Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, so, yeah, I mean, Fred mentions uh, a lot of the things that, that we talked about, but uh, Fred, I'm glad you did end up liking Dirk Gently. I still haven't gotten around to seeing the other three episodes, and, but I would like to because I really enjoyed uh, that pilot episode. Yeah, but, they, they were great. I, I watched all four of them. They're, they're, they're fantastic. It was really good. The one thing that I did want to point out, I know Fred has provided a lot of screen caps related to the calendar, and I don't even know if I mentioned this to you or not. I can't remember if I sent you the message, but the dark creators went and fixed the calendar mistakes so that if you go to Netflix now and go to those time codes that Fred has in the Facebook group with the missing X, well, the X isn't missing anymore. So hmm. I think, you know, it, it certainly supports what Fred speculated all along was that it was just simply a continuity production error, which yeah. apparently is what it turned out to be. And given that they could fix it, why not? So if you go now, it's fixed. So, so someone thought, got fired for that, you figure, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll see. It's one... One German prop master out of a job. Right. Um, you know, at this point, Fred brings up about Peter and Charlotte, and, and I don't want to say they are, are the most puzzling couple in these first couple episodes, but there, there's just something about the two of them that he's clearly got this secret. We know she's a detective. He wants to tell her something. And, of course, I think we assume it's something about his sexuality when that's likely not what it is at all. It's, it's probably about the bunker. Oh, oh, he brings up about the action figures. And I, I think we talked about it at the time, whether there was any significance. And, and I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any significance other than it just gave her a chance to go visit her son's grave and make this conscious act of connecting with him in some way. So I, I guess I don't see it yeah. as anything more than that. I, I'm thinking if there is that it's, you know, TBD, you know, like we, right. We have, we just don't, they, they haven't revealed to us, but, but I tend to go with what you just said. I mean, at the heart of this show, it is really, even with all the time travel, all the crazy stuff, um, it's a it's a show about people and people in pain and and suffering and people dealing with loss and uh, and that's like one of the biggest themes of, of of how people deal with loss and here's Yana in her way trying to deal with this loss and made even more terrible by the fact that she has no idea what happened to her son. Right. And you know what? It, what strikes me immediately as you say that, I go back to Fringe. And when Walter and his wife lose their child in you know the dimension that we, that we feel comfortable in, and, and we see that he goes into another dimension and takes his son and brings him back, does that really you know, heal the pain of having lost his son? Because 
he's got his son, but it's not really his son. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then of course, uh, no, when, yeah, totally. That, yeah. I mean, that was that was the big thing of, of with Fringe, right? That was like yeah. a huge aspect of. of yeah. That so show. you wonder whether anything like that, now that we know that there are other dimensions out there, whether that's going to come into play. So. All right, a lot to uh, well, look speaking forward. Of, like since you mentioned it, actually, we should probably uh, in post production you should include a message at the beginning that this is just completely spoiler full. There's no, there's no not spoilers in in, in this, and and also some spoilers for Fringe too. You might want to throw in there as well. Well, you know, Fringe that's been off the air for close to ten years, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I agree with you on the other thing. And I meant to do that at the top. But, uh, dude, I I feel like this was pretty much a success, Uh, you know, worth going on to episodes three and four. Yeah, definitely. All right. Especially since, like, yeah, we were still talking about episode one and we were like 40 minutes in and like, oh, we should move to episode two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, anyway, Fred, thanks for the feedback and yeah, we will be back next time to talk about episodes three and four, but that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. Want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about dark, anything else going on in genre TV, join the Facebook group. If you haven't yet, share your thoughts with the sci-fi TV rewatch community and, you can spread the word, bring in other members. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can get access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss Season 1, Episodes 3 and 4 of Dark. But until then... You know, as much as we talk about this show, Dave, we can talk about this show forever, but it really boils down to that there are things out there that our little minds will never comprehend.